Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Bill asked the televangelist to pray for his hearing. Sarah said, oh no. After three minutes of violent shaking and the televangelist trying to push him over backwards, Bill was upset and irritated. The man finally asked Bill, how's your hearing? Bill said, I don't know. It doesn't take place until Tuesday at the courthouse. (laughs) Oh, these jokes are going downhill fast. It's hard when you preach every week. (laughs) We're on part three of a series that we called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. Say The Blessed Life. We're talking about how Jesus defines happiness, and we're studying the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I think it is without a doubt the most important sermon that has ever been preached. I think I've encouraged you a couple times now to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 during the week, maybe every day, and and get Jesus' words into your heart. And we're focused on this because we want to be like Jesus. And if these are some of the most important words uh, that Jesus said, then we need to know what they say. Because we want to think like Jesus and act like Jesus and be like Jesus and know him. Each of the Beatitudes begins with the word blessed. Blessed. In fact, that's what Beatitudes means. It means blessed. It's a Latin word. Begins with the word blessed. It's Greek in, uh, in, excuse me, in the Greek it's the word makarios. Makarios. It can also be translated as happy. But it's not a kind of happiness that the world thinks of happiness or that you probably think of happiness because it's not based on external circumstances or possessions. It has nothing to do with external things or what is happening. It has everything to do with what's going on inside your heart, an internal joy that only God can give, that the world can't take away and circumstances can't change. And so Jesus teaches us in the Beatitudes, how to live a blessed and a happy life. And, and what he teaches is totally countercultural. It is absolutely revolutionary uh, to what the world says and even what religion teaches us. So we're in part three of the Beatitudes. We're in Matthew chapter five, verse five. If you want to open up your Bible, you can get there. Uh, let's pray real quick. Father, speak to us tonight. Encourage us, challenge us. Let your words penetrate our heart and take root, bear fruit in our lives, because we want to be more like you. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Would you read that, say that out loud together with me? Ready, go. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's say it one more time. Ready, go. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's a couple of challenges, I think, that we have in understanding this beatitude. You read through the beatitudes, I think often we just kind of quickly skip over this one. I think one of the reasons, one of the challenges, is that we don't use the word meek in our vocabulary. (laughs) By show of hands, how many of you used the word meek at least one or more times this past week? Come on. Okay, nobody stands up. That's exactly what I thought. (laughs) Second, the word Uh, Excuse me, the world does not value and promote uh, meekness. (laughs) The world doesn't promote meekness. The world promotes fame, 
and influence and power and wealth and fortune and popularity. I was laughing at myself because a couple hours ago, I thought I'm going to post about the weekend and, you know, and what I'm preaching. And as they say, I'm preaching on meekness. And if you don't care about that, because you probably don't, you can come for the free air conditioning. <laughs> who's who's going to come when they hear, you're going to hear a message on meekness? You know, that's not, nobody's going to say, yeah, I can't wait to get to church. <laughs> we live in a social media selfie culture that says it's all about me. Look at me. Look at my vacations. Look at this. Look at blah, blah, blah. Look at my feet on the beach. <laughs> and the word of God teaches us, no, it's not. It's not about you. And then the third challenge I think we have is that most of us don't even know what the word meek means. In fact, just be honest, and, and, and I would raise my hand to this. It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to be funny. But how many of you, when you hear the word meekness, the first thing that comes to mind is weakness? Raise your hand if that's you. There's several hands. The rest of you aren't being honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> most people, when they hear the word meekness, Think weakness. Meekness is not weakness. It's the exact opposite. Meekness does not mean that you're mild-mannered or soft-spoken or a pushover or a doormat who just lets people walk all over you and take advantage of you. That's not meekness, according to the Bible. The word meek that Jesus uses in the original language, it means power under perfect control. It means strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. In fact, can we, can we put that up there? Did I give you guys that statement? Put it up there, write it down. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, you look meek to me, not weak. Come on, tell somebody. Now turn to your second choice, the person you don't like as much, and tell them the same thing. You look meek to me, not weak. <laughs> you all had a first choice and a second choice. The word meekness, the word meekness implies, again, in the original Greek, it implies humility or gentleness. In fact, that's why when you read, I mean, we have so many modern English translations of the Bible now, but when you read different translations, they, those words are used depending on which translation you're reading. Matthew 5, 5 in the New Living Translation, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. The NASB says it, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. This word, meekness in the Greek, it's actually used, it's actually used to describe a wild horse or a wild stallion that has been tamed. <laughs> Come on, not a... Not a, not a mini horse. I think we have a picture. I don't know. Do we have a picture of this just for fun? Saturday nights we're figuring it. There we go. That's, that's me with a mini horse eating my pants. I've been trying to work this into a sermon for 10 years, and I finally did. It doesn't mean a mini horse. It doesn't mean a pony, a pony that's been tamed. Any, do we have another picture of a pony? There we go. <laughs> it means... A giant, massive, 2,000-pound wild stallion that is tamed, listen, and is completely submissive and obedient to its master. That's what the word meek means. 
By the way, a tamed horse is no less powerful than a wild horse. They're just as fast. They're just as powerful. But a tamed horse, a meek horse, a gentle horse has strength under control and becomes useful to its master. During the Revolutionary War, some American soldiers were rebuilding a defensive embankment wall when a man in civilian clothes rode up and started to observe what they were doing. So he stopped and he saw the soldiers working hard and he saw one man off to the side shouting orders to the men, but not doing any of the work, not helping them. And so the man got off his horse and he went up to the the man shouting orders and he asked him, excuse me, why aren't you helping them? And the man was offended and says, because I'm the corporal. That's why I'm not doing it. And so the man who asked the question said, oh, I'm sorry, to the corporal. And he went over and started helping the men for several hours until the wall was finished. And when it was finished, he walked over to the corporal and said, the next time you have a task to do and not enough men to do it, come directly to me, your commander in chief, George Washington, and I will help you again. Come on, that's meekness. That's strength under control. (laughs) So if the meek are happy, I don't know about you, but I want to be meek because I want to be happy. I want to live a blessed life. So you might think, how do I get meekness? How do I become meek? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) You're not born with meekness. You're not born, none of us are, with strength under control. And if you don't believe that, just come observe Sarah's three little guys for a couple of hours, three boys. (laughs) And you'll see these guys are a little out of control like any little guys are. There's no, they're strong, but they're not under control. Son, how many times do I have to tell you, you cannot light your sister's hair on fire, right? (laughs) Meekness is also not a personality trait. It's not, you know, if, you, if you're a more quiet, reserved, introverted personality, that does not mean necessarily that you're meek. It just means that Pastor Junior ought not to put you on the greeter team on Saturday nights because that would make you feel uncomfortable. So you might think, can I, can I produce meekness on my own? You know, Monday when I go, or I guess Tuesday, because Monday's Labor Day, when I go back to work on Tuesday, I'll just be a completely different person and I'll try really hard to be meek and gentle. Well, no, you can't. (laughs) You can't force it. You can't fake it. You can't manufacture it. You can't manipulate it. You can't buy meekness because meekness is an attribute of God. And you can only get it from him. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't get it from yourself. Jesus is meek. In fact, we'll, we'll end with that in a few minutes. He is the meekest one in the universe. Unlimited power, unparalleled strength, unprecedented might, but always under total and complete control. Galatians chapter five, verse 22, 23, but the fruit of the spirit, come on, read it off the screen. You probably know it. The fruit of the spirit is, say it with me, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some, some translations say meekness uh, because the words are the same. 
I, I noticed this for the first time as I was studying for this message, by the way. I don't know why I never picked up on this. I think it's significant even the order that these words are in, personally. And I think it's significant that meekness and self-control are right next to each other. Because you can't produce meekness in your life, the Holy Spirit produces it. And the fruit of the Spirit, the, 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 another way to say it as the character of Jesus, is only produced in our lives, men and women, when we're connected to Jesus, the source of life. That's what he says, John 15, go and read it. That's how we develop the fruit of the Spirit, is as we walk with the Lord. An orange branch that's connected to an orange tree will produce what? Oranges. Like a stallion that's been tamed and has become completely submissive and obedient to its master, and now its strength is under control, you and I must willingly surrender ourselves to be tamed by the Holy Spirit. We must submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And listen, we need to become obedient to what he tells us to do or not do. <laughs> what he tells us to say or not say. And if we do, then our actions and our reactions will demonstrate strength under control. Jesus says, blessed, happy are the meek. Why? Well, he answers it, because they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> I used to have an old T-shirt back in the 90s, a Nike shirt. I don't know why I remember this. And it said on one side, the meek shall inherit the earth. And then on the back, it was a picture of Charles Barkley. And it said, but they shall not get the ball. <laughs> what does it mean they shall inherit the earth? Does it mean we're going to have all the wealth and the possessions and we're going to be in positions of power and authority and control over everyone else? No, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Many scholars think that it, it does have a futuristic eschatological meaning referring to the fact that the meek, those who know the Lord, will inherit the new heaven and the new earth, and it probably does mean that. Revelation 21 speaks of that. But each of the Beatitudes are not just about the future, they're about the present. They're about right here and right now and what Jesus wants to develop in our hearts, how he wants to change us, and how it'll make us happy. So I think that, well, let me, let me, let me unpack this. The word earth, the word earth that Jesus uses literally can mean dirt or dust. <laughs> Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit dust. <laughs> wow, thanks a lot, Jesus. Sounds awesome. <laughs> but the word inherit also can mean to have dominion over. Genesis tells us that you and I, that God created us from dust and will return to dust. In other words, our body, or what Paul talks about, refers to as our flesh, was created from dust. In fact, Galatians 5, if you read the whole chapter in the context of the fruit of the Spirit, you'll read that Paul is talking about how our flesh, our body, our sinful desires, war against the Spirit. And so we gotta make a choice. We can either live according to the flesh or we can live according to the spirit. So, so I think an application that we could make, a spiritual application that we could make of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 5. Are you still with me, everybody? Put this on the screen if, if we can, media team, is this. Blessed and happy are the people 
whose strength is controlled by the Holy Spirit, for they shall have dominion over their flesh. Meekness is strength under control. So your strength is not out of control, it's under control. And in order to have this, again, you have to be willingly submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit. And I think you ought to pray when you start your day, Lord, I surrender to you today. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. Lord, have your way in me today. There's tremendous benefits when we bring our strength under the control of the Holy Spirit when we're meek. I want to give you five of them, five benefits of meekness. Number one is this, meekness Meekness diffuses conflict. Meekness diffuses conflict. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this because probably this is the one that I need to hear the most. Meekness diffuses conflict. A meek person, a gentle person, a humble person does not overreact. They're not driven by their emotions. They're not moody and volatile, and anything can set them off at any time. Let me say it like this. A meek person is not an angry person. You can't be meek and be angry. They don't coexist. Because meekness is strength under control, and it's the antidote to anger. Listen, when you're angry... When you're angry, you're, you're out of control. Your emotions are out of control. Now I know some of you are thinking, Jesus got angry, yes he did. There is a righteous kind of anger. There is a righteous, holy kind of anger that I think even we can possess. I'm not talking about that right, right now. I'm talking about the anger that most of us experience on a fairly regular basis that's out of control. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, I don't know. I, I won't use any names in this story because I don't think I have permission to, but years ago, I still remember this, one of our pastor friends came and he ministered at our church, but a few days before, he, he sat and talked to our staff and he was just sharing some leadership stuff. And the one thing that I remember he said, I've never forgotten this, and, and he is on staff at an extremely prominent church. If I said it, everybody would know what I'm talking about. I won't say it. But he told a story one time about, at his church, there was a music artist that they were gonna bring in for their church on a weekend or something. I don't remember all the details, but they're gonna bring in this person. Well, the person, again, something happened. This person got mad and decided not to show up at all. <laughs> and so in a staff meeting after this happened with the pastor who everybody would recognize, I won't say his name, but th this, my friend was sitting down with his pastor and a few other staff, and you know, these guys were upset about this, and they were talking about, what should we do, pastor, what should we do? And this pastor asked the question, said, what were we gonna pay him, what was his honorarium? And they told him the number, and he took a piece of paper, wrote, wrote a piece of paper, and slid it to one of his staff and says, I want you to double it. This pastor, all he needed to do was post one thing on social media. He could have ruined this, this musical artist. Literally, this person would have been done and buried forever. But because, this, and I've actually met this man, because he's meek, come on somebody, because he has strength under control, what did he do? He blessed him. Because the Bible says, Proverbs 29, 11, a short-sighted fool always loses his temper and displays his anger. But a wise man uses self-control and holds it back. 
So ask yourself this question tonight. Are your emotions out of control or are they under control? Is your anger out of control or is it under the control of the Holy Spirit? And I, as I, I said, this is something that God is still working in me. This is something that I've struggled with. I've been counseling partially over this issue of anger, so I'm still learning it. There's only two people in all of the Bible, in all of Scripture, that are specifically referred to as meek. Only two. One of them is Jesus, and the other, does anybody know? It's Moses. The other's Moses. Good job, whoever said that. You get a, you get a happy face sticker afterwards. <laughs> Listen to this verse, Numbers chapter 12, verse three. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. This verse is hilarious to me for this reason. Moses wrote it. <laughs> Inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's like, how can you be the most meek person, the most humble person in the world if you call yourself the most humble person in the world? I don't know. It's the Holy Spirit. It, it reminds me of the plaque that my dad used to have on his desk, and it said, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. <laughs> Listen, men and women, but Moses had an anger problem. In fact, he had a violent anger problem. When he was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and Moses got angry and took, literally took matters into his own hands and beat the Egyptian so violently that he killed him and murdered him in cold blood. And so then God took him into the wilderness for 40 years and said, all right, we got some work to do. You're gonna talk to some sheep for about 40 years because <laughs> I need to develop meekness in you because what I'm gonna use you to do is is unlike anything anybody's ever experienced. And in order for that to happen, you gotta be meek. Cause you're gonna see my power in a way that nobody's ever seen it before, probably arguably since. And by the way, by the way, if you study Moses' life, and this is interesting to me, Moses still struggled, struggled with anger. Came down the mountain, God had given him the 10 commandments written in the finger of God. Moses saw the people acting wild, literally having an orgy. He got so mad, I would have done the exact same thing. Threw the tablets down. Later, in fact, what kept him out of the promised land one time is God says, I want you to speak to this rock. Moses got angry and struck the rock. Kept him out of the promised land. So listen, to me, this, this brings great hope and encouragement because even Moses struggled with anger and yet he was still called me. Come on, somebody. Because listen, God can change any of us. I got an, I've always been angry. Well, you don't always have to be angry. You can be meek. Let Jesus do a work in your heart. Let Jesus do a work in my heart. He can bring your strength under control. Proverbs 15, one, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The message paraphrases, a gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we tend to mimic the emotions of people that we're talking to or that are across from us, whoever we're interacting with. And the reason is actually a biological reason is that in our brain, we have something that are called mirror neurons, which allow us to sympathize and feel what other people are feeling. So if I'm talking to Pastor, Pastor Julie, and if she's energetic, I'll probably get kind of energetic too. 
<laughs> if she's upset, then I'll feel upset. If she feels depressed, I might get a little depressed. If she's angry, I might get a little angry. Here's a tip. This is gonna help some of you. My dad used to teach this. This is something that I still need, still am working on in my life. This is a good, wise tip, though, by the way. It's, it'll save you problems. It'll save you heartache. It'll probably save you a lot of money in counseling. When other people raise their voice, you get quiet. Lower yours. <laughs> it's gonna save you from a lot of conflict. It'll help you in your parenting. It'll help you at work, it'll help you in your marriage because what tends to happen is that when somebody's angry and they raise their voice, you raise your voice and then they raise their voice even higher and then you raise your voice and it's called escalation. It just gets higher and higher and both of you now are out of control of your, in your emotions. With the Holy Spirit's help, when someone raises their emotions, you can lower yours. In fact, here's a verse that's gonna help you at work next week, some of you. Ecclesiastes 10.4, if your boss is angry at you, <laughs> don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Sarah, if your boss is angry at you, don't quit. Next time your boss tears into you, Realize it might not even have anything to do with you. They might have had a bad weekend at home or just got off a bad phone call or maybe they had a bad sandwich for lunch. <laughs> have some strength under control. Don't walk away. Number two, the second benefit of meekness. Meekness disarms critics. Meekness disarms critics. The more successful you are in life, the more critics you're gonna have. The more public and well-known you are, the more criticized you will be. As Taylor Swift once said, haters gonna hate, 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 hate. Come on. Do I need to sing it? No, I'm not gonna sing it. If you don't do anything with your life, you won't have any critics. So the only way to not be criticized is to do nothing, say nothing, be nothing, and stand for nothing. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. How do you handle critics in your life, people who gossip you, slander you, say bad things about you, and criticize you? Jesus, by the way, addresses that in the Sermon on the Mount, a few verses after this one, the end of chapter of Matthew 5. You can read it on your own. In fact, let me, let me say it like this. How do you respond? What do you do when somebody criticizes you on social media? When you post something and then they say something rude, how do you respond? It's cracking up. This past week, I was, you know, glanced real quick on Facebook and I saw one of my friends post something about a pastor who I respect incredibly so much. And then I, I wrote a comment. I normally don't even do that. I wrote a comment, said something nice about this pastor. The comment directly above me was so unbelievably rude. You know what my first reaction was? You probably don't want to know. <laughs> I'm going to tell this knucklehead what I think and set this guy straight. And then I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, no, you're not. You're gonna keep your mouth shut and not say anything. How do you handle criticism? By the way, since we're talking about social media, there are some social media trolls and all they're trying to do is get in a fight with somebody. 
And you know, one of the reasons could be because anger is an addiction just like anything else can be addiction. Just like pornography can be addiction or sex can be an addiction or, or you know, uh, whatever. Alcohol can be an addiction. Anger can be addic an addiction as well because people who are super, super angry most of the time, they tend to be super depressed. And the only time they feel alive is when they get angry and they're fighting with somebody. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Somebody you had a some of you had parents like that or a dad, maybe an alcoholic father who was angry or some of you, you, you just, hopefully you're not married to somebody like that. Come on, just keep looking at me. Don't look at your spouse right now. But people who are like this, they love it when you respond. They, all they wanna do is hook you. Normal people, by the way, don't like fighting. That's not a normal thing. Be angry all the time. 2 Timothy 2.24, a servant of the Lord. I know in the context, Paul's talking about pastors and elders and leaders in the church. This applies, though, to all of us. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. Colossians 3, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The Holy Spirit can help you control your reactions when someone's harsh and they're rude to you, so you can respond in meekness. Meekness is the ability to sit quietly and calmly when somebody is attacking you loudly and harshly. That's meekness. And sometimes the best response, men and women, when somebody's attacking you is not to say anything. That's sometimes, that's the wisest response. It's the most godly response. It's the most Jesus-like response. What did Jesus do on trial? Being attacked by critics, slandered, gossiped, accused falsely of all kinds of things. Bible says he just kept his mouth shut. He didn't say anything. Number three, meekness declares love. Meekness declares love. Husbands, husbands, if you're married, probably the fastest way to improve your marriage is to start talking to your wife more kindly and gently and meekly. It'll probably fix things in your marriage faster than anything. I know from personal experience, because Jenny's reminded me of that occasionally, to be, to be nice, to speak kindly, because my, my default, my flesh, is sometimes the opposite of that. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. Any fool can be rough and rude, but a gentleman, listen, is a gentle man. <laughs> and part of meekness is forgiveness, because a great marriage is the union of two great forgivers. And gentleness is also a key to effective parenting as well, by the way, don't discipline out. You ought not to discipline out of anger or frustration. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't irritate and provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admonition of the Lord. In other, other words, what, that, what that's telling us is don't have unrealistic expectations and standards that your kids are never able to meet but communicate your love for them with your words and, and your discipline and show them God's love so they can understand it. Number four is this, meekness demonstrates the truth of Jesus to unbelievers. Meekness demonstrates the, the truth of Jesus to unbelievers. Unbelievers, people who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're watching us all the time. They're watching you. 
<laughs> you got eyes on you. Somebody's watching you who doesn't know the Lord. And guess what they're watching? They're watching to see how you handle trials and tribulations, how you handle difficulties and challenges and stress and pressure in your life. Because when you respond with meekness and kindness and gentleness, that's different than everybody else in the world. And that impacts them. That says something to them. It's a powerful testimony. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, don't go around thumping your Bible and saying, you're gonna die and fry while I go to the sky. <laughs> it doesn't win anybody to the Lord. Meekness enables you to have conversations and be friends with people who don't know the Lord and have a different religion or who live a different kind of lifestyle or who have different political perspectives, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, far left or far right, or who like different sports teams even, even the San Francisco Giants. If you have meekness, you can still be friends with a Giants fan. Meekness is submitting to the Lord and being gentle with sinners, which is exactly how Jesus was. He was known, he had a reputation. Hey, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes because he was meek. Number five leads to the last point. Meekness develops the character of Jesus in me. Meekness develops the character of Jesus in me. This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is becoming more and more like Jesus and it's the most powerful and important benefit of meekness. I look over here, I see Matt Walsh and Matt, you were just part of our internship recently, weren't you? And I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to you about it. I don't put you on the spot. Was it, but was it impacting in your life? Yeah, so we have, we have an internship ministry that's starting again in a couple of weeks. That's led by Pastors Tony and Kathy Salerno, two incredible people. And some of you ought to think about being an intern. You'll, you'll grow in your leadership skills and ability. You'll serve in in the church in, in a deeper way, but it's really about discipleship. It's really about becoming more and more like Jesus. And I've literally seen people's lives totally change. So anyways, you can think about that. If you're interested, you can sign up at the Connection Center in the lobby. But, but, but meekness, meekness develops the character of Jesus in us. Oswald Chambers said this, he says, Jesus did not come only to teach us. He came to make us what he teaches we should be. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. The meekest person who's ever lived is also the strongest person who's ever lived. And Jesus modeled perfectly to us what meekness looks like. He said in Matthew chapter 11, then Jesus said, verses 28, 29, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you, what does it say? Come on, what does it say? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle. Other translations say meek. I am humble and meek at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's a question. Doesn't this mean that if I want to be like Jesus, I need to be meek? Yes. Yes, it does. You think, well, I'm not, I'm not by nature a meek person. 
Well, neither am I. None of us are. And so we choose to submit our strength and surrender to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we begin to learn it and we begin to let God produce it in us. And we pray prayers like, Lord, help me to treat people the way that you would treat them. Especially difficult people, men and women. Jesus says, it's easy to love those who love you. I want you to love your enemies. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. <laughs> Here's another question. Is it possible that the stress and pressure that I feel in my life is because I'm not meek? Yes. Yes, it is. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but yes, it is. Jesus says, I'm humble and meek. And when you know me and when you walk with me, then I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll take pressure off of you. I'll take stress off of your life. Because the more Christ-like you become, the more meek you become. And the more meek you become, the more at peace and rest you become. And the more peace and rest you have in your life, the more happy you'll be. I love this verse in Isaiah 29, 19. The meek will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. What a great promise. The meek will be filled with fresh joy. The meek will be happy says the Lord. And Psalm 37 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Meekness removes worrying because you know that you're not in control. Why do you worry about things in your life? Because you're trying to control them, because you're trying to control the outcome of them. And so meekness knows God is in control. Meekness removes anger from your life because you know that you're not in control. Why do you get angry about things? Because you're trying to control them or you're trying to control someone. And so meekness knows that God is in control. And so if you're meek, you're not angry. You're not worried. You're filled with fresh joy. You're filled with an abundance of peace. What a great phrase, an abundance of peace. That means more than enough peace. <laughs> Can you imagine having so much peace in your life that you gotta tell God, God, that's enough. <laughs> no, no more peace in my life, God. I can't handle any more of this peace. Too much, I got too much peace. Yet if you're meek, you'll have an abundance of peace. Blessed and happy, filled with fresh joy, are the meek, are the people whose strength is controlled by the Holy Spirit. For they shall inherit the earth, for they shall have dominion over their flesh. They'll have more than enough peace. I don't know about you, but I want that in my life.
Go ahead and close your eyes if you would. Maybe the Lord spoke to you tonight about an area of your life that if you're just being honest with yourself, you're being honest before the Lord, just out of control. Maybe you've never surrendered it to him and brought it under his control or just an area of your life where you're, you're, you're lacking meekness and gentleness. It could, could be anger. It could be you've been creating conflict in your marriage or maybe it's something in your parenting or maybe it's how you've been treating your employees or relating to your boss at work or I don't know, just something else. But if that's you, just with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, not looking around for privacy tonight, if you, if you sit, just say, John, more importantly, you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to surrender this to you right now because I want you to produce strength under control in my life. I want you to produce meekness in my life. You need to surrender that to him. Just close your eyes, but would you just lift your hand real quick, wherever you are, lift your hand, lift your hand, several hands, lots of hands, actually. My hand would be up too, by the way. My hand is up. You can put your hands down. You don't need to say this out loud, but you can just agree with me in your heart as I say these words. I'm just gonna say a prayer and you can agree with me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I'm not meek, but I wanna be. I wanna be like you. I've been struggling in this area of my life that's out of control. Now in your heart, just tell the Lord what it is. He knows already, but just tell him, confess it to him. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I don't wanna be out of control. I want to have strength under control. So right now, I surrender this part of my life to you, to your spirit. I surrender every part of my life to you. Have your way in me. Produce meekness in my life. Change my heart. I want to obey you and put into practice the word of God, your word. Help me to treat people the way that Jesus would. I want to be blessed and happy and filled with joy. Lord, take away my anger, my stress, my worry. Replace it with your peace. In your name, amen. Amen. You can open up your eyes. Just one more moment, one other invitation before we close, men and women. We do this every, every week because it's the most important decision anybody could ever make. By the way, listen, probably like some of you, I've been in, I could, I guess I could add them up. I could count probably thousands of church services my whole life. I love church. There's almost no place I'd rather be most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes I'd rather be at a Dodgers game. But listen, when we get to this point, if you know the Lord, you ought to pray right now. I know you're thinking about your hungry and stuff like that, and it's easy to check out. I get it. But you ought to be praying and interceding because if there's ever a spiritual battle, it is this moment right here. If spiritual warfare is real, it's never more real than in a moment where somebody is thinking, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, who's far from God, somebody's thinking, am I gonna believe this stuff and give my life to Jesus or I'm just gonna keep living my own life? Literally, heaven and hell hang in the balance. So I wanna encourage you. I'm trying to encourage you, church. I wanna encourage you, when we get to this moment, if you know the Lord, you don't need to say anything out loud. That would actually be distracting to somebody next to you, probably. But in your heart, you gotta be praying and interceding. And even if it's one person, I know Saturday night is a smaller group. I don't know if there's somebody here tonight or, or not, especially after this introduction I just gave. <laughs> but I'm gonna give an invitation right now. You gotta pray. I want us to be a praying ch church that believes for people to come to Christ. And it burns in my heart. I wanna see people saved. 
I don't want our church just to grow from transfer growth. Every, that happens in every church, especially in our culture. Nothing wrong with that. I, I get it. But I don't want our church to grow from transfer growth. I want to reach lost people. I want to see, I want to see lost people who don't know the Lord. I want to see them radically changed and transformed by Jesus. That's why, I'm, that's why I've given my life to this. To me, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than that. I love it. I love it when I see people start coming to church. A friend invites them. They start coming and they give their life to the Lord. And I can see the change in transformation. Sometimes I can see it in people's eyes. I can see it on their countenance. That to me, it makes everything worth it. <laughs> I'm a lead pastor now. I get criticized more often than, than you know, I'd like to admit. And I, get, and I can get angry at people. But I'm learning meekness. But I, what keeps me in ministry, one of the things is seeing people come to Christ. Now that I got that off my chest, I feel better. <laughs> hey, listen, maybe you're here tonight. Maybe, maybe you're watching online and you don't know the Lord. I'm not asking, do you know about God? Everybody knows about God. The Bible says the demons know about him. They tremble. In fact, when Jesus walked this planet, people who were demon-possessed, every single one of them said, we know who you are. You're the son of God. But do you know that he's the son of God? Have you put your faith and trust in him? And listen, men and women, that's what makes the difference in your life. You will not live a blessed life. You will not live the happy life that God wants you to live. I'm not talking about a perfect life. I'm talking about an internal joy that only God can give you. You can never receive that until you receive his son. Jesus has done everything. He died on the cross. He shed his blood to bring you into relationship with the Father, to give you abundant and eternal life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way, men and women. It doesn't matter how much you come to church, how much money you give, how good you are, how meek you are or you think you are. The only thing that gets you into heaven, the only thing that brings you into relationship with God is Jesus. And putting your trust in him, saying, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender every part of my life. I need you. That's what it means to say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. And I have willingly submitted my strength under his control. And when you do that, you become useful to the master. And to say, he's my savior. He's the one who's forgiven me my sins. Paid the price. Sin is selfishness. It's rebellion. It's disobedience against the Lord. And every single one of us are sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But listen, but the free gift or the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's the most important decision you could ever make. This is a long altar call tonight. <laughs> That's all right. I don't. Maybe somebody needs, somebody needs to hear it. Close your eyes one more time. God loves you so much. The reason, the reason God gave his son Jesus is because he loves you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave heaven's best. He gave his son. He loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. You might think, there's no way God can love me. I don't love myself. Yes, he does. And his love will change everything. It will change your whole life. It will change your heart, change your mind. It will change everything about you. But you have to receive it. You have, that's called taking a step of faith. You have to receive it. And nobody can make that decision for you. Only you can. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Or maybe you, you've prayed a prayer, but you've just walked away from the Lord. Maybe you've ran away from the Lord. Turned your back on him. And you think, man, I'm lost. I need to come back to him. Listen, today's the day of salvation. And he's waiting with open arms. And if you're here tonight, 
Again, just, just private. I won't embarrass you. I won't, I won't call you to the front. I won't call you out. I just want to see you and make a eye contact and agreement with you. Maybe you're watching online. You can let our team know. If anybody here is here tonight, you say, John, that's me. For the first time, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to surrender my life. Or I'm making a recommitment. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Hold it high. Anybody in this place tonight? Pastor Josh, come on up here. Get ready to close. Praise the Lord. You guys can open up your eyes. God bless you, church. Love you so much. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.